You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. Did I tell you I have the best job ever? That's like how fun my job is every week. It's awesome. Um, Though I've managed to avoid puppets personally, which I think now that Derek's shown his puppet skills, I don't think I ever need to do puppets, right? Perfect. (laughs) Let uh, Let me brag on my volunteers for just a minute. The children's ministry team over there is incredible. I hope you know that when you drop your kids off to their classes, I have volunteers that are committed, are faithful, are excited about teaching your kids about the Word. Um, I had a conversation with two of them two weeks ago where they came and said, we think this will work better for the kids in our class. And I was like, well, that's going to be more responsibility and work for you guys. They're like, we're fine. It's going to help them learn the Bible better. And I'm like, all right. So that's that's the volunteers I have over there that make me look really, really good when we do things like this. Um, so I just love them. But uh, one of my favorite things about Christmas is traditions. I don't know if you have any traditions in your family that you guys do at Christmas. Um, but I was kind of looking up a few of them because I love the meaning behind them. So I was kind of looking up some of the maybe more popular Christmas traditions and where they came from. Um, a lot of them come from Europe. I don't know if you, all the best things come from Europe, right? <laughs> That's not fair. Okay, so leaving treats out for Santa. Anyone do that? Anyone leave treats out for Santa Claus? So that originated in Germany, but leaving milk and cookies is an American thing that y'all started doing in the Great Depression. Isn't that random? So they started doing it in the Great Depression to show that there was still a reason to be thankful and to give generously, even in hard times. I thought that was kind of cool. Anyone make a gingerbread house this year? Yeah? Mine's still in the box. We'll get to it. We got five more days for Christmas, right? Um, gingerbread houses, they come from the story Hansel and Gretel. You know, the house that was made out of cakes and bread and all that good stuff. That's where they originated from. But once again, the British do something well. So gingerbread men come from Elizabeth I, one of our queens. She started at a Christmas party where they made gingerbread in the shape or likeness of important guests that were coming. You all want to know where the biggest gingerbread house was that was ever been built? I'll give you one guess. No, in Texas. Everything is bigger in Texas, right? Yeah. See, 2013, you guys made, well, not you personally, but Texas made the biggest gingerbread house in the world. Um, One of my very favorite Christmas traditions that we do as a family is with our Christmas tree. So if you come to our house right now, you'll see a Christmas tree that looks probably pretty simple. It has white lights on it because I'm a purist. It needs to be white, right? (laughs) I can't get on board with the colored lights. I'm sorry. Um, And it has ornaments on it. No, No garland, no ribbon, just ornaments. But every single ornament on that tree has a meaning to it. So when Chris and I got married 13 years ago, we started collecting ornaments every year of our marriage that signified either a place we'd been to or a memory we had made. And so every year when we get out our Christmas ornaments, we put them on our tree and we talk about the memories that we've made. For most of them, a couple of them were like, did we get this in Belgium or Germany? I don't remember. But we talk about the meaning and the memory behind them. And the sweetest thing is this year, 
um, we started putting some up, and there's some that Oliver, our six-year-old, remembers now. He's like, that was from when we did this. Um, and I love this tradition because it just gives some meaning and purpose to our tree, and it reminds us of the memories that we've made as a couple and now as a family. Um, and I hope as we continue this, our children will start to really remember. I remember when we did this. I remember when we did that. Um, so I love, I love that tradition um, that we've started and I'm sure many of you have traditions in your family. And when I was thinking about today and what I wanted to share with you guys, I was thinking about how we pass on our faith to children much like we pass on our traditions with our kids at Christmas time, right? We do this because of whatever. And as I search the Bible, I see time and time again where God tells parents to pass on their knowledge of their faith. They pass on their faith much like they pass on traditions. Um, so... Um, I want to take a look at, um, at one verse in the Bible today because as I was planning for this and looking, there's very, very few verses in the Bible where parents are addressed directly to, you know, do this with your children. And even when they are, it's not super specific, right? So Ephesians 6 has one verse in it where it's talking about fathers and how they respond. And when you look at that one verse, I don't really walk away going, I know exactly what I must do with my six-year-old now to pass on my faith, right? It's kind of like a guiding principle, not like a do this and you're going to achieve some kind of result from it. But this is the verse. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I wanna focus on the second half of the verse because I feel like fathers do not provoke your children to anger could probably be a whole entire message by itself, right? But the second part of the verse, um, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up was the same word that is translated to nourish in Ephesians 5.29, where God is talking about how we care for our own physical uh, bodies. We should nourish our children with love and encouragement, not just by providing for them physically, obviously we do that, we provide places for them to sleep, food for them to eat, clothes to wear, but to provide them with love and encouragement that would nourish their bodies and their minds and their hearts emotionally and spiritually. Uh, discipline. This word gives us uh, a focus to the whole training and education of children, their cultivation of their mind and their morals. Um, I don't know about you, but I, before, especially before I, I became a parent, when I heard the word discipline, all it meant to me in my mind was being told off for doing something wrong, right? This is not what, it's, <laughs> this is not what the Bible is trying to get at. Um, it's a sign of a loving parent that we discipline our children, that we teach them that we give them boundaries, that we do provide correction when they need it, but that we also provide that understanding of why we do something, why we do it, why God tells us to do this, and that um, it's giving them that, um, that important instruction on how God calls us to live and love other people. And that final word, instruction. Um, this can be also translated as admonition, meaning to instruct and encourage. Through our words, we encourage our children. We help them grow. We help them develop spiritually. Um, and as I was kind of getting in the word on this, the one thing that I find is missing in the Bible is the example of a perfect parent that gets it all right. Right? I don't know if you've ever looked for that, like, okay, who got it all right so I can figure out how this parenting thing is supposed to go down. So, um, for example, we have Adam and Eve. One of their sons killed the other one, right? Yep. 
Isaac and Rebecca showed clear favoritism. To, I mean, the Bible clearly lays it out, like this one like this one and this one like this one better. Um, uh, Jacob, he raised his sons in such a way that one of them sold the other brother into slavery. They sold their brother into slavery. I don't know that we could put that as a picture of parenting success, right? And we haven't even made it out of Genesis with those examples. So that's like the first book of the Bible. That's how well parenting is going for these people. So I don't know about you, but to me, that gives me a little glimmer of hope that maybe this isn't going to go as terribly as I think it might because of me, right? Because many of those people in the Bible, we look at them as people that were um, awesome people of the faith. They did incredible things for God, but their own humanness was there. We could argue that Mary and Joseph did a pretty good job, but I have a feeling it has more to do with who they were raising than the fact that they were the ones raising him, right? (laughs) Son of God has got to be an edge on your parenting. So, but I don't know about you. I don't know if you feel sometimes like, this is hard, and I'm not doing very good, and this is challenging. I'll tell you, there is nothing more humbling than apologizing to your three-year-old when you just lost your temper and you realize that you're in the wrong, right? It's like marriage. It brings out the worst side of you. Parenting, it does the same thing. And it's so humbling because I, I see my humanness. I see my failures. I see my impatience. I see all of those things at work in the way I respond to my children sometimes. And it reassures me to know that when I look through the Bible that God can work in the lives of my children. He can bring them to faith even with that aspect of me, even with my humanness and my failures and my faults at play. So I want you to remember that as I continue that that it's there for all of us. Um, our parenting cannot escape our humanity, but it does not disqualify us from the task ahead either. So um, there's no parenting formula which tells you do this and get this. If, you ha- if you're not a parent and you haven't figured it out, if you're a parent, I'm sure you figured this out, right? They have their own will, right? Yes. Uh, I saw it on stage. I don't know if you noticed, my daughter didn't make it up there uh, because she has her own will and wanted to stay down here which was overly surprising because our son is like the introverted, really shy kid, and he was on the front row doing all the actions. And our little extroverted, like bubbly, like talk to anyone is here on the floor. Um, so uh, they have their own, they have their own will. Um, so what do we do? Um, how do we take on that task? And I want to suggest this morning three areas that we as parents focus on for our parenting. My hope is today that I do not leave you with a list of I should be doing this, 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 and this, but rather areas of what you might already be doing and how you can use that to equip your kids in the faith. So the first one, and I managed to get them all to start with the letter E because, well, you know, the letter E is great. Just kidding. (laughs) It fit really well, okay, coincidence. Um, So the first is exposure. So I found this quote and I loved it. No one has more potential to influence a child's relationship with God than parents. As the church, on average, we have about 40 hours with your child each year, on average. That's 40 M&Ms, provided no one's eaten them backstage. That is 40 M&Ms in that jar. On average, and I understand for some of you, you're here for two services every week, that may be a higher, but for some of you, you come once a month. This is on average how much time we have with your children to influence them spiritually. Y'all wanna see what a parent says? That's the right answer. 
That is approximately, I, I did not count them, that is approximately 3,000 M&Ms. It's a pretty big difference, right? The time that we have with your children and the time on average in a year that you have with your children. Now granted, if you homeschool your kids, it's probably more than 3,000 hours. But that's a pretty big difference. No one has more opportunity to influence the spiritual life as a child than their parents. It's a big task, but it's one that God clearly lays at the feet of parents when you look at the Bible. So as parents, our opportunity to influence our children is greater. The church should be here as a resource and as a support to you, not taking on the primary role of that. I cannot achieve in 40 hours with your child that you could achieve with 3,000. Um, we want to support you, we want to resource you. I wanna point out a couple of things that we are shifting to do to help resource you. If you've been, if you're a parent of a child in the kids building, hopefully you've seen that we create a monthly booklet every month that we have out right by our check-in. It's telling you exactly what we're teaching your children. It tells you the Bible verses, it tells you the big idea for that week, it gives you some questions. Because we wanna resource you, we know that them learning that one little lesson in church is not enough. Take those booklets home. Talk about your kids, with your kids, about what they learned that Sunday. Talk about what the idea was, the big idea. Talk about what the Bible story, read the Bible story with them. You know the greatest thing kids learn by is repetition, right? When they hear things repeatedly, they learn it, they understand it. There's questions in there for you to help unpack with your preschooler, with your elementary age kid, to help them learn more about the word of God. Um, do, do what, expose your children to your faith through what you are already doing them, with them. When do you pray with your kids? In our home we pray in, uh, at mealtimes, at home we pray with them before bed. Most mornings, I say most mornings, because sometimes it, it just is a morning. Most mornings we pray with them before we head out to school and daycare and work. And the sweetest thing that I see in our kids is when they say, I start to walk away at bedtime and they're like, uh, will you pray for me? And I'm like, oh yes. They love it. They love to pray because we've helped to show them throughout different points in the day, little small things. It's not big elaborate prayers, it's not long, it's not wordy, it's just help them sleep well tonight. Help them have good dreams. Help them grow healthy and strong. And they are learning throughout little bits of their day that they can pray to God like that. I picked up a girl up from daycare the other day and uh, the teacher was like, she got mad at me we didn't pray before the meal. It's like, sorry, I don't, maybe not, I don't know. Um, but what conversations do you have with your kids? What do they wanna talk about? How do you point them to Jesus through their conversations with them? What about Bible study? Are you studying the word? Are you in a Bible study group? Uh, one of the things I'm most excited about is in the new year, you guys are gonna be finishing up Judges if you're in a Bible study. And when, the <laughs> no one more excited about than Derek. Um, and there is a new series coming. And when we start this new series, we're adding a new resource. We are gonna create a resource for parents to help them take what they are learning in Bible study already so I'm not asking you to study the Bible again. If you're not in a Bible study group, maybe you need to go to one. Um, but, but taking what you are already learning and we are gonna give you a resource to help you talk to your children about it. 
because I know, uh, honestly, one of my biggest fears about doing this is I spend so much of my time talking to children, and I'm like, I gotta get my mind around talking to adults. But I understand that people have the reverse issue. It's like, how do I take this big theological thing that I just learned in Bible study, and how do I help my kids understand it? We wanna help equip you to do that. We wanna help you. So in, in the new year, when those new um, studies roll around, that's what we're doing. Um, into Jen, this was um, a great experience that this youth ministries team started this year. Uh, if you haven't been, again, I'd recommend you go. It's a once a month in the gym um, where adults come and they are part of the youth group. And I, I've been able to go and it was a joy to watch adults conversing with teenagers um, to watch them asking questions and playing games together and showing, exposing our youth to the wider body of the church. What an incredible experience for them to see, right? What an incredible experience to see that they are not just a part of what they do in their one room, they're a part of a body, and a body that loves them and cares for them and would give their time on a Wednesday night to come be with them. So exposure. How do we expose our children? The second way is through experience. I think we expose our children, uh, we pass on our faith, through our experience. So there was a study by the Barna Institute and it found that 61% of parents who bring their family to church weekly are more likely to be very satisfied with their child's spiritual development. Church should be a place where they experience faith in a way that they cannot do it solely with you as their parent, right? The Bible tells us repeatedly we need to be in community with other believers. As a parent, you have absolutely the greatest opportunity to influence your spiritual faith, their spiritual faith, but you cannot do it completely alone, and nor should you. Um, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, it tells us to not neglect to meet together, but meet together, encourage each other. We want to help our children experience um, experience their faith through what they're actually doing. That's one of the things why Intergen is such an awesome, uh, awesome opportunity. It's why we did this service today, why we brought our children in here. It was slight chaos, we know, but it was important. I don't know how, if you know how many kids this morning when I walked into that building were like, I'm so excited, this is gonna be so great. One of the children actually came up to me, she was like, this is my moment. I'm like, <laughs> oh, it is. It was one of yours, <laughs> no surprises. <laughs> but they were excited, they were excited to be a part of the church that they belong to. It wasn't another Sunday when they were in one room, which is awesome and it's a great way for them to learn, but they need to know that they're part of the body too, right? That they're loved and they're wanted and they're ex we're excited about them. So I wanna help normalize kids being a part of what we're doing. Night of Worship is an incredible opportunity to do that. It's majority songs. Um, you'll see us, we bring our children to Night of Worship. I will put this disclaimer on it. It doesn't always go like you think it might, okay? Would you like to see how Night of Worship ended for this in November for our three-year-old? Can we get that picture up? That's how Night of Worship ended for Abigail. She's like, I'm tired, this is too much, and lay down and went to sleep. Um, one of the cool things they did at Night of Worship this past time was had some Bible verses on the screen for us to kind of read and meditate on. And uh, Oliver was sat with me, a six-year-old, and this Bible verse, it was a fairly lengthy one comes on. And he, in the ever so discreet way that children deal, 
uh, he said, are we supposed to sing all of that? <laughs> it obviously was like a really quiet and reflective moment at that point, and I was like, shh. But it provided me with an opportunity to tell him why that verse was on the screen, to read that Bible verse to him and explain what we were doing in that moment, right? It wasn't something I was taking him on to go do. He just came to be part of what we were already doing. And I think that's a big part of our life with our kids is how do I share what I'm already doing with my kids and help them develop their faith through it? Um, I want to encourage you, if you are free on Friday night, night of worship is coming for Christmas Eve, bring your children. Let them come be a part of it. Let them be reminded and taught why we are celebrating Christmas, what it's all about um, through this night of worship. It's a great, it's such a great time. It's fine if they're at the back twirling around, not paying attention, they're still listening, they're still getting it, they're still a part of what's going on, it's okay. If they make noise, it's okay. We love your children, we want them to be a part of it. Um, include them how, in how you're serving. Uh, one of my favorite things on Sunday mornings uh, when I get here early to come and help is my kids have started to help set up with us. Um, so me and another family um, kind of put all this stuff out for the kids and my kids are right there putting it out with them. And the, you know the sweetest thing is, the family that comes and does that with me, their teenager comes to you. And so their teenager is serving with them and my teenager is serving with them and they're seeing how we serve together, how we serve as a part of the body. If you serve somewhere here, let your kids be part of it. Let your teenagers be part of it. They are able to do far more often than we give them credit for, right? Let them see how to serve in the body of Christ by the way you serve and how you take them as be a part of that. Um, there's so many opportunities to serve together as a family. Um, we did our gift drive for our daycare families. When you go shopping, let them pick the gift. Explain why you're picking the gift, right? There's so many mission places, places like Mission Arlington, if you have the time and you wanna take them somewhere to do that, places like Mission Arlington welcome families. They go serve for an hour, go serve for two hours, but show them, it'll help them experience. We talk about the head, the heart, and the hands, right? We gotta give them those hands-on experiences to see. We gotta let them experience in a practical way our faith. And the last one um, is excitement. I wanna suggest that we pass our faith onto our children through what we are excited about. Are you excited about your relationship with Jesus Christ? This may be the hardest uh, question for you to answer. This may be the thing that you have to um, work through for your own self. Is the way you speak about church and the things that you do for your faith an exciting thing? Is it something you're like, well, I guess I should read the Bible? Because I will tell you, children are perceptive in ways that we probably wish they would not be. They know. They know, oh, we're going to church because mommy and daddy said we should. Or they know we're going to church because it's awesome and we get to be with believers and we get to see what Jesus is doing in their lives and we get to learn and listen. We get to serve. Are you excited about um, your faith? If your children look at your life, do they see someone committed to Jesus, to growing in his word, in their faith and in their character? We have freedom groups that will help you work on your character 
And you don't need to come home and tell your children everything you learned in your freedom group. <laughs> Saying that for now, just in case. But as you grow and you develop as a parent, your kids will notice. Your kids will notice, my dad apologizes to me now when he makes a mistake, rather than just storming off and, and leaving it unsaid. My mom speaks differently to me than she used to. They see when we grow, we change, we develop. So as a church, we want to resource you, we want to support you. One of my goals for 2022 is that I'm asking a different question of our parents. Rather than, did your kids enjoy service? I'm gonna be asking, how are you doing discipling your children? What can I do to resource you in that? How are you struggling? How can I pray for you? How can I support you? Because your opportunity is far greater than mine is ever gonna be and my volunteers is ever gonna be. The Bible tells us and clearly places the responsibility for parents to disciple their kids with the parents. Let's seize that opportunity. Let's make the most of it. Let's look for the things we're already doing that we can include them in and have them be a part of and let's do it. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you just so much for an awesome Sunday. I thank you for our children that are a part of our church and our teenagers that are loved and valued and wanted. Um, and I pray for these parents here. I pray that they would feel inspired to see the ways that they can disciple their kids, the difference that they can make, the opportunity that they have. And I pray that they would seize those moments, that they would trust in you, that you would work even through the midst of their humanness and their frailty and their brokenness to do something incredible in the lives of their children. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So well done. Want an M&M? So well done. Yes, I will take an M&M. Thank you. Uh, so if you were here, how many of you were here first service? Okay. If you weren't, then I'm going to ask you to listen to that because what I said in first service went perfectly with, with what Emma just said, that, that we're not asking you to be a perfect parent. God is not asking for you to be a perfect He knows you're not a perfect parent. He understands that. He understands you're broken and very far from, from perfect. And it's through that brokenness, like Emma just talked about, that we have the potential to impact children in our lives. And not just kids in the home, right? But, I mean, this is the most potential, kids in the home. Uh, but you in life groups, in community, in this church, have the potential to impact the kids in your life in a very profound way. And it's not after I'm better, after I'm fixed, after I'm whole, right. but in spite of all of those things, God can use you to impact the lives of those children. And so we're just so excited. Emma came to me um, weeks ago now and, and talked about the desire for 22 to come in and partner with you and give you resources. And there are so many other things that we're still talking about and planning that we want to eventually bring to a reality. Um, but I just want to just very clearly and, and publicly share my appreciation for what Emma brings to this, this team and this church. Um, yeah. God, God has used her tremendously. Uh, he is continuing to use her, and uh, somehow we made it like 10 years without figuring out that you're really good up here and need to see more of you, so uh, 
your job just got more complicated. Well, well done. So did mine, apparently, with the puppets. I don't know. We'll see um, what will happen there. In true children's pastor fashion, look, she got you out of here at 1134. Don't expect this. Um, but uh, we would ask you go and, and uh, rescue our workers uh, from your children as soon as humanly possible. Uh, hey, we want to see you here on Christmas Eve, and uh, like she said, bring your kiddos. Uh, it's an incredible experience. It's not always, uh, in fact, it's rarely smooth, right? Um, but these are the moments they remember, and uh, don't give them a candle. Okay, great. Uh, God bless you. We love you. We will see you. Merry Christmas.